Welcome to the Veterinarian Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Uh, what a week. It's wild. Um, I'm recording this on a, on a Saturday. You'll, you'll hear it tomorrow, so it's a little different than the, the normal setup where it might be a, a week later before the, the episodes get out. But I was going to do a different take on, on a topic that I'm going to save for another time. And I'm fortunate I was going to do a radio show anyways this week, and it is a solo show. But the message really changed after the way this week kind of developed. And part of that is just, you know, having so many different texts, emails, calls. And even when my wife is asking me about, you know, hey, what's going on with GameStop? That, that makes you stop and, and think that this certainly needs discussion. And as you probably already know at this point, GameStop is the stock and the name that's on everybody's lips. The story behind it, in my opinion, is one that matters and for reasons that may not be evident initially. But I do want to talk a little bit about like what the heck happened, because I think there are a lot of questions and it's, it's an interesting situation um, to start with. So uh, GameStop traded $100 billion, that's billion with a B, this week, which is up about 2,000, over 2,000% 2000 um, from last year. So like, why was it so actively traded? What happened and why? So the, the financial term for what happened is called a short squeeze. So there was a, a large hedge fund or, you know, the professional money out there. Think of the Wall Street names. I don't know where exactly they are, but um, there, there's a hedge fund that was short and betting that GameStop, that the price would go down and they make money when that happens. And so as those people on Reddit started seeing what's going on and kind of Wall Street bets, the, the thread on, on Reddit, they noticed that GameStop had over 150% short interest in the stock, which basically means that someone, which is Melvin Capital, the, the hedge fund in this scenario, had borrowed money and they didn't actually own enough of the stock and was just trying to short it into you know oblivion and, and drive it to zero and make the money that they can make on that. So what the, the folks did on Reddit was talk about it and, and started buying the stock and also using what's called call options, which is um, a derivative, which again, I know is a super financial topic. We don't need to get into kind of all the details, but it's, it's the right basically to buy a certain amount of shares at a predetermined price. Don't need to get into specifics, but they were, they were basically betting against Melvin Capital. And so really in layman's terms, what happened is Melvin Capital got caught with their pants down and they had no ability to, to protect themselves in what happened. And that's why you're seeing the price just explode because once word got out and more people started piling on and they saw that they could make money, the pain for Melvin Capital ensued. And Melvin should have just taken their loss, you know, taken the lumps and, and, and just got out and, and paid. And they've lost billions of dollars again. But what has happened is actually far worse. So they were bleeding so much money. Last Friday was not, not the 29th, the, the 22nd was really, they were hurting really bad. And so over the weekend, over last weekend, Two different bigger hedge funds, Citadel and uh, 0.72, injected a bunch of money in, into Melvin Capital to help protect them to make sure they didn't get, you know, bankrupt. Right? Which, again, in a free market, if a company screws up, they should go bankrupt. Like if you run your veterinary clinic poorly, you should go out of business. If I run a financial planning service that no one wants and, and treat people poorly you go out of business, right? Like it's not, it's not the same where someone's going to come in and, and just inject money. And one of the big issues, and this is why I really want to talk about it. So Citadel is one of the major firms that pays Robinhood, which is kind of at the center of all this as well for what's called order flow. And so basically Robinhood 
the the product is free. You can trade stocks for free, and I have my my quotations with my my fingers up that you can't see. But basically, what they do is Citadel buys all the the, the buy and sell orders from everyone on Robinhood, so they can see what's going on and then make trades and front run all those. And they kind of scalp money off of doing that. And so they have algorithms, and they, that's the way it's set up. Unfortunately, when there's a no cost to trade um, on a platform. Instead of you paying for a service, you are the end product, right? Like Robinhood's product is you as the individual. And it's similar to the way that like Facebook and Instagram is free, but then will sell your information or some of your demographic information to advertisers so they can market to you because you're going to get certain items that are marketed to you so that you will hopefully buy it. And that's again, how Facebook and Instagram make their money. So what happened this past Friday, um, as of the, the 29th was that Robinhood and some other brokerage firms like TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Webull, and others, like I'm not, I think uh, Interactive Brokers was on there as well, basically quit allowing people to buy GameStop. They could only sell. There was rumors of people being forced to liquidate and sell to basically protect Citadel and Melvin Capital. One of the brokerage firms, like a TD, uh, Robinhood, one of the other, I can't remember which one, mentioned that they needed to stop and, and restrict trading for the hedge funds to help them manage their risk and get things under control, which is a nice way of saying they were basically trying to stop the onslaught of, of retail money or the, the, the unsmart money, the dumb money, as they call it sometimes, which I don't agree with that, um, for making more money than, than what they'd already made. And they were really hurting the, the smart money in the room, which was the, the hedge funds. And they were basically bailing them out for making a really foolish decision. And there was public news, on, again, on the 29th, that Melvin Capital closed their short position, which again put the price of GameStop lower um, because people are like, "Hey, this is done. They've they've closed it." But rumors are that Citadel, which is the company that again gave a bunch more money, added to short positions after bailing them out. So that is beyond shady and and market manipulation. It's something that you know makes my blood boil thinking about some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes here. And all this information will come out more and more over time. But this is partially why I wanted to talk about it because it is, it's it's ridiculous is what's going on. And, you know, GameStop started 2020 at $19 and it had been falling and hadn't been doing great, but it closed this again, Friday, the 29th uh, at $325. So the common person, um, so those that were on the Reddit stream that had read it, that had done research and understood what was going on, found a flaw. They said, Hey, this hedge fund is doing something stupid and we're going to punish them for it. And they made a lot of money because they weren't able to they were going to make a lot of money because Melvin Capital had to basically then buy back and pay whatever price that GameStop was to get out of their position. And they've basically said, we're not going to do that. And so all everything that's happened is 100% wrong. And if we had a free and open market, this Melvin Capital firm should go bankrupt. It should go out of business. And then it should be a lesson for, for folks in the industry to learn and say, hey, you don't do that. You play, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And they played a stupid game, except that's not what's happening. And I don't really care about GameStop personally. Um, I hope it goes up far higher and I hope a, a lot of you know individual people make a lot of money on it and don't do something stupid. But I've had clients and friends and people texting me, asking me in you know Snapchats, like, hey, what's going on with, with GameStop? What should I do? And it's, it's really a, a lottery ticket at this point. It can be a massive gain. It can be a loss. It's the whole idea of what's happening, the hypocrisy behind it that, that makes me so frustrated. And I wanted to build on that to talk about another topic. And, and we did a, a webinar from a, a Vincere standpoint recently, just talking about investing and where we were and where we've been. It's on YouTube. If you want to see it, I'm happy to share it if anyone wants it. But 
one of the things that we've seen is this socioeconomic, racial, and generational clashes that we continue to see, and I think it's really heated up the last 12 months. And I do not see a sign of that stopping. And this whole GameStop piece is just these two different people, these two different classes of, of, of people within the United States, again, going almost you know to war um, against each other, where there's so much bitter hatred that's going on, where people are, are so frustrated and so angry. Um, and I'm amazed the same with you know COVID-19. It's been a lot more divisive instead of bringing us all together to defeat you know one common enemy. And it brings up a book that um, is very interesting that talks a lot about these kind of divides that happen. It's called The Fourth Turning, an American Prophecy by Neil Howe and William Strauss. It was actually written in 1996. And what it did is it foreshadowed the, the great financial crisis and actually a global health crisis, which is, is wild to think about it in 1996 that they were talking about these things. But the book is a long read, but it discusses that every fourth generation you kind of see a reset and a fracture in the old system and a creation or a rebirth of the new. The last one was World War II, and obviously that was a great reset. Before that, the Civil War, another big reset. Before that, the Revolutionary War. And I'm not saying, and I, they don't say that in the book, that you know it has to lead into a, a bloody conflict. Like It can be other, other things that go on, but we are certainly in one of those turning events, and it would have started uh, with the, the Great Financial Crisis in 2008. And it, this, you know, decade will be certainly full of trials and tribulations. The, the old establishments are, are broken. There's a, a major lack of trust. And we saw that again with this GameStop piece, which is kind of how I wanted to, to bring these together because it, it matches so much of what is talked about in the, the fourth turning. And people are looking for changes. We might not all agree. I'm sure everyone listening to this has a different viewpoint on what is the right path forward, what needs to change. But changes are happening. And we'll see the, the the course of our country set for the next 80 to 100 years this decade if the fourth turning has merit. I believe it does. And while that might seem alarmist or a little unsettling, it's not my goal. It's just more of a realization of trying to answer the questions when people are saying, like, what the hell's happening right now? And seeing all this is part of why I've been passionate and, and part of why I went in and really tried to understand, you know, what's going on with, with Bitcoin and other things because so many of our societal problems is focused around the broken system that we have with money. We've kept interest rates so low, it's really impossible for anyone that's a a retiree or someone that's at the end of their life to find anywhere to safely store their money. Now, it's great for someone that's looking to borrow funds to buy a veterinary clinic or buy a home from mortgage rates. Those are all good things, but you and I have probably both been getting the same emails about how the the rate on your savings account at the bank is going down and down and down. Cash is basically a melting ice cube. As a country, we have more jet, more debt than we do gross domestic product or GDP, which is kind of the, the the stuff that you make as a country. And 51 out of the 52 times a country has hit the level of 130% of debt to GDP, they've gone on to default or basically go bankrupt as a country. The only country that's not done this is Japan, and they have been kind of stuck in neutral from an economic standpoint since the 90s. We've created 75% of all the dollars ever in existence of our country since 2009. Since 1980, the money supply has grown by 5.85%. That means your dollars are worth less each and every year. So if you aren't raising your income by you know 5.85% per year, you're declining in the purchasing power that you have. So your dollar Last year is not going to be a dollar this year in purchasing power. In 2020, the money supply grew by 24%. While we haven't seen inflation and things like 
you know, the chicken breast at the grocery store, other things like that, the common day-to-day items, what we have seen is a large inflation in the things that we want, homes, veterinary clinics, healthcare, education costs, stocks, bonds, real estate, all those things are so much higher than they've been in the past. And that's where the inflation has gone. It's gone into asset inflation and not kind of the consumer price index, which is what the government puts out and says, well, this is the measure of inflation. The working hours to buy a share of the S&P 500, which the S&P 500 is just the 500 um, biggest companies uh, in the United States that is kind of the benchmark for the U.S. stock market, is at its highest level. So it's the most expensive for the average person to buy in the S&P since it started tracking in the 1860s. We could start to see inflation in everyday items. So again, going back to the example of like what, what chicken breast costs at the store and stuff like that if we see the speed or velocity of money pick up. So we've created a lot of money. And what happened in 2020 is most of the people save that because they're frankly scared to death of what's gonna happen next. They don't wanna get caught in a pinch. And so they've saved that money back. But once the vaccine comes out and and people start to feel more comfortable, they might start spending a lot more and that could change. Also, frankly, I think we'll see universal basic income. I think we'll start to see checks that will continue to go out. And that's something that the Biden administration has talked about. Frankly, if Trump got reelected, he was going to do something probably similar. It's not really a uh, a Democratic or a Republican thing. It's just more of like where we're at from a societal standpoint. So you might be thinking, like, what do you do with all this? Isaiah, this sounds all like doom and gloom. First and foremost, it's not all bad, right? So if you're listening to this, you're likely working in veterinary medicine, or I would quite, I'd probably question why, why you're listening to me still at this point, but you're in a career that has so much growth and opportunity. I've I've tried to highlight that and really encourage each and every one of you that you have the ability to have a great income. There's a lot of private equity money and a lot of other resources that are coming in this space. that's going to make it a great career, whether you want to be an associate long-term or you want to be an owner at some point, there are tons of great opportunities, both in clinical practice and then outside of that. The skill set that a veterinarian has is fantastic. And you can do so many other things than just, you know, daily practice of medicine. Um, if you're looking to, to buy or start up a clinic, I think it makes a ton of sense. Again, with rates being low, it's a great, great time to do that because the return on a veterinary clinic, again, looking at the numbers, if you can get get a, a well-run clinic, it's in the mid-teens as far as a profit and a return on your dollar after paying yourself. So that's a great return. It's well above kind of where the, the increase of money is. So you can still outpace inflation. I'd highly suggest um, taking a look and talking to the folks that provide, which is formerly Lindever. They are supporters and sponsors of the show. It's something that's new. I'm going to formalize that and and release just a quick little snippet about it. But since I'm recording right now, um, that's all happened recently. Uh, I've been super impressed with the the technology and the forward thinking approach. They basically built the the whole structure of their business around being online and and tech only and, you know, take away the the brick and mortar footprint and and make it easy in, in something that's, you know, 21st century technology, which is great. And that's something that I loved is the ability to partner with someone that can serve veterinarians across the country. I actually approached them about it because I do talk a lot about ownership and it makes sense because it aligns with the mission of private practice ownership. So I was looking for a sponsor that that fit that, fit that right? That, that actually believes the same thing that I believe. So if you, you know, want to have those conversations, you're thinking about it, you have that itch, I highly, highly encourage you to scratch it. Um, I would encourage you, again, reach out to provide. I think they do a great job. I have a link on the podcast website that if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you can uh, fill out the form. It's a, an electronic, you know, you can do it from the comfort of your own home while you're on break at work and then start the conversation of seeing like, is this something that I want to do? What would it look like? 
and, and get the wheels turning from that standpoint. So more to come on that. And that'll be something that'll be more formalized over time, but just something to, to bring up again. I think practice ownership is a great way to, to fight back against some of these different things and really protect what you've built. And second, I recorded a Bitcoin conversation with Tyrone Ross back in episode 52. A, I hope you listened to that and enjoyed it. Tyrone's fantastic and such a fun person to listen to. He has um, just, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And we talked about around in that conversation why I believe Bitcoin would be the financial story of this decade. I still believe that and have only furthered my convictions with just additional research and information that's come out. And with all the censoring and centralized decision making around what happened with GameStop, where it's basically punishing people for making the right decisions and making too much money and they have to stop that. That's ridiculous. Bitcoin is not something that can be controlled like that. It's decentralized. It's free. It's outside of you know the traditional financial system. And it is something that's for the people, by the people. I call it the most American style of hard money that's out there. Um, obviously, I am biased to, to lean to and believe into Bitcoin, but I think it is really important. And one of the you know missions that I have is to talk about it and ensure that veterinarians understand it, because I do think it is still so early and there's an opportunity for, for people to, to take advantage of that and understand it. And you'll be well above the, uh, ahead of the curve from that standpoint. Um, I think the idea of Bitcoin and, and decentralization will grow in, in a lot of different ways of just not having a centralized resource that can shut everything down. I'd highly recommend getting educated on Bitcoin. My favorite place is Case Bitcoin, C-A-S-E Bitcoin, B-I-T-C-O-I-N.com. I'll link to it in the show notes has a ton of good resources and information. It pulls it all together and is updated very often just to, to continue to go there and read some of the old posts uh, of people that wrote about it in you know 2016, 2015, and how that's really developed over time. Also, it's again, it's a passion of mine. That's why I talk about it. Reach out directly. Um, shoot a note on any social medias. Um, reach out to me via the, the podcast. Any way that, that you can get a hold of me, I'd be happy to share the resources if you're looking for other podcasts or, or ways that you learn best. Happy to share that. Third, as wild as it sounds, don't be in a rush to pay down debt. If we see higher inflation, it'll make your debt worth less. It won't make it worthless, but it'll make it worth less and less over time because the dollar will get devalued. So that payment that you're making will become less and less. Our country's deficit has to be resolved eventually, and it seems like this is a likely path forward. Yes, they'll raise taxes on people that make more money, um, but those are going to be the really high-end earners. And if you really look at that and understand it, that doesn't really solve a lot of the issues. And one thing that they can do that's like a stealth tax is just raise inflation. And that punishes everyone jointly, but it's not something that that you're really going to hear on any campaign trail that, hey, I'm going to raise inflation. It's just, it happens. No one has to vote on it. It just happens. There's always going to be a need for you to ensure you have cash flow, but I'd prioritize investing and in making sure that you can retain your purchasing power versus attacking debt aggressively. If it's high debt, if it's credit card debt, if it's other things, yes, you need to get aggressive. But I'm talking about, you know, whether it's student loans or a mortgage or other things. I know everyone has a nuanced situation. You might disagree with me, and that's okay. I don't want to just say things that you already know or say things that you agree with. Like I'm here to add value, and I want to make sure that, you know, it's not always going to be a consensus topic. And I'm not pro-debt, but I think you can have debt and be responsible with it, and especially on home mortgages. Don't be in a rush to pay off something that's sub 3%. It just does not make any sense. You just heard earlier that the, the money supply is growing since 1980 at 5.85%. Your mortgage is getting cheaper and cheaper each year. So you should be focused on raising your income, which a way to do that is to have some sort of ownership, whether it's economic or entrepreneurial. So the economic being, hey, you're working for a corporate entity. You're allowed to get some ownership, whether it's stock or some other way, into the larger entity. 
it's a fantastic way to, to raise your income or entrepreneurship and going out and buying someone out, starting a startup, rolling up rural practices and, and doing different things. There's so many good opportunities out there. There's more to say on this topic. This is not all. Um, it's just kind of where my head was at at the time of recording. And I thought this was a good spot to probably put a pin in it for now. But the GameStop story to me continues to reinforce my feelings of a massive change that's coming, both socially and culturally in our country. Uh, I think we all each have the ability to help shape that in a variety of ways. Obviously, you can do that with voting. You can do that with the way that you interact with other people. And just educating yourself, I think, is huge. We're all likely to, to have a, a difficult decade. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be challenges. And we may see costs go a lot higher where it does get hard. Um, think about, and my encouragement would be, think about ways to protect and maintain your purchasing power and try to figure out how you can reinvest in yourself to make yourself as valuable as possible. But again, going back to veterinary medicine, it's growing. It's, it's highly, highly in demand. So you're in a great spot. There's a lot of people that are not in the same position that you are. Lastly, I'd love to hear from you because I know this is a slightly different show than normal. Um, talking about things that are maybe, you know, specific to, to more opinions versus kind of how to's or interview style. So let me know if you like it. If you hate it as well, please let me know that. I appreciate it. And if you're still listening at this point, uh, thank you so much until next time, take care and, uh, have a great one. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.